We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Player and team developments we expect or are hoping for. That is what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards per Gretsch. You can find my Substack, bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, it's been a fun, you know, post week two. We're looking ahead to week three. I'm excited to talk about, we're still here in the early season, excited to talk about the things that we think are going to to happen based on what we've seen in these first two weeks. We are, and the development of some of these passing games is going to be a big story. Now, we talked a little bit in the last show about the Rams passing game. You had a little bit of a breakout with Matthew Stafford, obviously Cooper Cup, the big beneficiary there. We also saw, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday night, but we were excited because after the Ryan Fitzpatrick injury, after the Matt Ryan meltdown in week one, and with one of the structures that we used kind of tactically with our teams as we drafted was to try and create some exposure to Justin Fields, try and create some exposure to Trey Lance, but then know that you're going to have to be patient. So again, some moves targeting massive upside at the end of the season, and you know, some listeners are probably like, you know, you guys need to win some games in the first half if the second half of the season is going to matter. But a lot of what we're trying to do is figure out how we can maximize the number of picks that we have and be very aware of price and how that factors into the overall roster, right? So if we build our teams from the back to the front, we can see some of these options that we have late and really get a sense of where the big tier breaks are. Now, one of the things that we note all the time is that we are very surprised about how the season actually unfolds. And so what can maybe look like a tier break on draft day doesn't turn out to be a tier break as you're actually going into it. There are some very good players in that range that's a little bit later. But Fields and Lance often falling to a spot where we could draft our zero RB candidates first and then still get that. And have that exposure, right? Have that upside in the second half of the season where you could be getting the points from these rushing QBs, these hybrid QBs in a big way when it really matters. And and we've seen with players like Taysom Hill, it doesn't even necessarily matter if the QB is that good. The upside is extreme. But all of that being said, we're going to have to score some points along the way, which means taking an even less expensive option going into the season than 
QB scoring has been a big theme through the first couple of weeks because if you didn't score points, you could fall way behind, right? And we've had some teams that have done really well, are in position, but if Joe Burrow played a little bit better, they would you know, be over even a little bit more of a hump. They'd be in much better position. So we have to kind of decide, do we want to stick with Burrow? You and I are still pretty confident that that passing game is going to work out. There's simply too much talent there. All three of those guys scored fantasy points this past week, even in a bad game. They're going to elevate him going forward. But we're also seeing much better than anticipated scoring from guys like Derek Carr. And there are even some other options late at QB that fantasy managers might be looking at if they're dealing with any of these options. Now, if you have a Josh Allen, you're probably the most disappointed because he hasn't scored for you very well through two weeks and you had to use a prime pick on him. You're not going to move away from him but there might be drafters who waited a little bit longer and are now trying to decide how they do want to deploy some of these later QBs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Carr is a guy that you've been on and I've been a little bit hesitant to follow you with. I thought he looked a little bit slow in the first halves of both of the games, but, but he played very, very well down the stretch in both. Right. And so that was something that I've, I've kind of had a hard time balancing, but Giving it more thought, thinking back through it, um, you know, watching uh, some some of his throws a little bit more. I mean, we talked about this in the offseason a little bit too. I don't know how much we talked about it on the Dynasty series that we did. We took him on our Dynasty team. It may have been just me and you talking off the air and not, not on the pod because we do some of that as well. Pe- people listening right now are, are probably mad because they want to hear those conversations too, I'm sure. But you, you had definitely articulated to me that it's probably been missed a little bit that Derek Carr's made some small improvements over the last few years. And that was one that I was definitely open to with you and, and saying, you know, that's something that I feel like I've seen a little bit in watching him over the last couple of years and maybe been too anchored to my prior thought on him, which was just that he's not very good, which goes all the way back to like, you know, being really in on Amari Cooper early in his career and, and Carr's inability to get Amari Cooper going um, consistently. But the point is, has been very valid and very true that Card seems to have made a bunch of steps forward and now has taken a big step forward this year. This week, he's been a huge talk on Twitter. People are talking about him as a dark horse MVP candidate. And yeah, I'm just basically lucky that that I'm in leagues with you where you wanted to get him last week when I was a little skeptical. And so we do have him on a lot of teams, but he's very clearly to me, one of the absolute top options or, or probably the top option. The only other one is if you're in a really shallow league, I'm sure he already got picked up on waivers, but it's Justin Fields. Now that Andy Dalton is confirmed going to be out, uh, I think you definitely have to make that that Justin Fields play. He's at Cleveland. It's not a great matchup, but I'm starting him everywhere I have him. But between you know Fields and assuming Fields is is not available, you know you have to be in a very shallow league for that to be the case. Of the guys that are really late, you know Sam Darnold does look good. We talked about Teddy Bridgewater looking good. Some of those offenses looking a little bit better than expected. But Derek Carr, I mean, their, their early down pass rate has been very strong. Their uh, pass rate over expectation, very strong. And Carr has looked very good. And notably, as, as you talked about in your Monday article, he got Henry Ruggs going in week two, basically, for the first time. Was able to hit him on a, on a deep shot. Ruggs targets look pretty solid 12 targets through two games one thing i i mentioned in the offseason a few times is the rugs didn't have a single game as a rookie with more than five targets he's now had five which ties his, his high from last year and then seven in his first two games so definitely a little bit of a bump so far for henry rugs which is nice to see in terms of the targets that he's drawing and so and car hitting him on that on that deep shot was was very promising so 
a lot to like with Derek Carr. There is. And, and you mentioned Henry Ruggs. Blair was pointing out this week that the balanced kind of portfolio of routes and targets is extremely encouraging. We talked about that being the main thing for Stefan Diggs and his big you know, leap. I mean, Stefan Diggs had already broken out. He's already one of the best receivers in the NFL, but he became this fantasy force when the Bills used him everywhere. Ruggs has this 4-2 speed. We saw him get behind the defense on the long pass. That ball travels 46 yards in the air. It's delivered to him almost like a handoff from Carr. Such a beautiful pass. And yet a lot of the rest of his targets were underneath. And so that's good, right? We don't want these guys to be just a little bit what we saw from the Eagles on Sunday, which was deep shot to Smith, deep shot to Smith, deep shot to Rager, you know, deep shot to Quez. Quez catches his, and that's great but we're not necessarily going to have the consistency from those guys if we don't have these underneath targets as well. The fact that Ruggs is out there all the time and that his depth of target includes the deep shot, but also has these, you know, not even necessarily manufactured targets, but the underneath routes. And one of the things with Carr uh, that I mentioned in that piece is that the shift from the previous coaching staff to Gruden has been very good for him in terms of the kinds of passes that he's throwing. He's throwing a slightly higher percentage over the middle, which is the most efficient, and his efficiency numbers in the intermediate and short middle have really skyrocketed. They were under seven previously with Gruden. They're over nine. Uh, that's a big step forward for him, and, and we can see that in some of the peripherals just through the first couple of weeks where he has you know, 520 intended air yards in week one, really attacking. Obviously, a lot of dropbacks that week uh, with the game there in Baltimore. Completes 255 of them. Last week, just 308, but completes 217. And so when you have a guy who is attacking some down the field, but is completing 70% of his intended air yards, putting up big numbers overall, and he's doing it against defenses that are no slouches. So very excited about that. We have a couple other deep quarterbacks who are going to be available in almost every league and have scored well through a couple of weeks. Daniel Jones sitting there with a 28-plus average. Jared Goff sitting there with a 28-plus average. Both of these quarterbacks have different things going for them. Both of them have scrambled some. Daniel Jones has rushed a lot. Jones attacking deep, and uh, he, he's like the number three guy in the entire NFL in terms of air yards per target. And we've got some of his guys emerging. Darius Slayton, somebody that I've already always liked and felt like if they could just get him more involved, that would probably do some of the things that they're wanting from some of these other receivers. Jared Goff, I, I don't want to say this in terms of like, I have him on rosters because that wouldn't be true. But the guy that I did like in Detroit and a little bit uh, from TJ Calkins getting me on him a couple of years ago when he came out was Quintez Cephas. And I'm fortunate enough to have him in a best ball league that you and I are in. And so, you know, don't have to worry about if he's going to actually score any more points the rest of the season, get those in week two. But with the Lions being a team that, is going to trail and trail and trail and having actually having some fun guys to catch passes in TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift. Ben, this one was a heartbreaker when I went in and looked at the actual results. I don't know how closely you looked at this one, but we had a game where we came from way back based on TJ Hawkinson and his big performance on Monday night. And then that final drive. We lost by a point and a half or something. I think we lost by less than a point uh. on the final catch to DeAndre Swift. So we've been rooting hard for Swift. I was so excited when he had that final drive and then I go and we were playing against Swift. Right, I missed right. that. I missed that. I did see how close it was. I did see we had Hawkinson in that league and I was like, man, if we could have just got a little bit more out of Hawkinson, I was not tracking it live. We were going against Swift in that league. 
yeah, we lost on the, on the final play to him. So that was too bad. So, but they have these guys. Do you have any interest in Jones or Goff in a one QB league? Obviously, those guys are going to be weapons in super flex. Encouraged enough about what they did the first couple of weeks to get on board? I'm I'm not. Um, I'm very encouraged. My concerns with Jones specifically are that I believe he ran nine times for 91 yards in a TD, and I don't think he's going to do that again all year. And the the specific reason that he did almost was that they, the, my read was that on Thursday night last week, they used Saquon Barkley as something of a decoy. He played a ton more snaps. That was a big signal for me this week. On a short week, played 84% of the snaps, way up from 48% in week one. But they were doing a lot of the read options, and Jones was keeping – Almost all of his rushing was was on that exact play, and it's almost like they wanted to put that on tape, get people to re- get defenses to respect that more. It will still hit some. We saw it last year with the the play against the Eagles, the the very infamous trip where he should have had the eighty yard touchdown run, but he fell on his face. He's still going to have some rushing value, and I do like that he's taking deep shots. I think part of the reason his scoring has been as high as it is is because the rushing has been unsustainably high, based on Barkley not being as involved. Now that we have a long layover from Barkley, we saw the very optimistic 84% snapshot on the short week, and we get an extra long week now. I think Barkley from week three on should be good to go, basically. I'm very excited about him the rest of the way. That, I think, is going to impact Jones. I think they did a really smart thing to do that uh, read option heavy, Daniel Jones rushing heavy stuff in week two, and now they've put that on tape. That's going to make defenses respect that. That's going to help Barkley's rushing efficiency inside, hopefully. That's a great point. I was thinking the same thing where it's like they're running these plays to force defenses to address it the whole rest of the season. And they're doing it when they don't want to use Barkley anyway. I mean, that's, that's good coaching there. They get a lot of criticism, but that was smart. It was very, very smart, but that is going to be a a little bit of a knock on Jones because of that statistically with the rushing and and the rushing was already probably unsustainable, but excited for, for Barkley. I I, look, Jones is fine. I think he's gonna be fine. I just don't think the upside is going to be what it's been so far. And then golf on the flip side, same thing. I think he's going to be better than I expected. Same with Jones. I think they're both going to be better than I expected. I just don't think they're going to be like the the, the upside quarterback late round breakout play that we're really looking for. Like Carr, I think, could be because that offense is throwing so much on early downs and all these things. Goff, they're going to be in these situations where he has to throw a lot. A lot of it has been volume for him. He has added a little bit of rushing. You noted he had a they, – they said on the broadcast a career-long run in that Monday nighter, which – Again, same thing. He's probably not going to be able to sustain the rushing. He might he might run a little bit more because they are doing a lot of this frantic fourth quarter stuff that I think is probably going to be sort of their MO all year. They're going to probably trail some, and they've shown that they're willing to, to, to keep being really aggressive in those spots, which is great. So Goss going to have some good pass volume because of that. He's going to have some good passing numbers. Don't think he'll add a lot as a rusher. Don't think he's going to be massively efficient. And so they're both, to me, going to be like, top out at like a low end QB one type. They're very usable certainly, but like that's their ceiling. And, and so I don't see them as like a, you know, a, a, a huge target necessarily. I'm not making that play as quickly as I am for like car. Does that kind of track or do you have a different thought on it? No, I think that that's right. Okay. And what we're trying to balance is grabbing guys and not burning roster spots on players. We're going to cut again, because even as you go through each individual game, you want to be holding players who could see their value really jump and so you know you don't want to stash extra qbs and we even have some rosters where we just have burrow and even with the kind of injury that he's dealing with there we don't want to burn it until we have to if we're going to start him the given week then you're not going to use the spot on a backup now 
as we get a little bit closer to the bye weeks, we have to do it a little bit differently because you can get quickly boxed out a waiver section that looks pretty deep at QB uh, in a 20 roster spot league can get very thin once people are needing to roster more quarterbacks when you can't be the only team or one of only two or three teams that maybe is going with one QB. When people have to go to two, you've got to be careful. So we'll keep an eye on those guys. I think if Slayton breaks out to go with Galladay improving, we could see some pretty impressive things from Jones. So he'd probably be the next guy that I'm looking to add. Totally, totally agree with that point. If it gets thin in your league, like we've seen positive signs. I do buy the positive signs for both of those quarterbacks for sure. Now, Ben, what are we looking at with our running back position this week? We know that we want to continue to move through with our zero running back teams. We're going to continue to churn guys. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that James Conner, the eye test with him has not been good through a couple of weeks. By contrast, Edmonds has looked fantastic. The funny thing is that when you go in and look at the advanced stats and you look at some of these broken tackles, missed tackles, Connor is actually still generating some good results there. But one of the things I've talked about since I was writing a little bit with PFF back in the early days too, there with Mike Clay and the gang is that you've got to break tackles and then create yards. And so we look at the possible usage there with the Cardinals. We have a situation where in their lone sort of third and one run in this game, they used him. He lost yardage their carry inside the 10 yard line. They used him. He lost yardage. Overall, I mean, he did maybe did a little bit better. And we can still see that the Cardinals want to use him on some of the high-value touches that they gave Drake last season. But they're not using him on some of the lower-value touches. And while we can look at that and say that doesn't make a huge difference for fantasy, you can start to lose the low-value touches and not look good on the ones you do get and then start to lose the high-value touches and then you just don't score any points, right? And so there's a little bit of a contrast there. We look at the 49ers. We bid high on Mitchell in some leagues. He had the touchdown overturned. He's got a little bit of the shoulder injury there. Do you have any feel? They obviously signed a former Florida State and XFL star in Patrick. They think that the shoulder injury will probably be okay on Mitchell, at least not a huge injury there. We have Sermon with a concussion. A really sad note with him. I mean, number one, concussions were always mostly concerned. Our number one priority is just that the person gets well and that hopefully the brain trauma is limited. It was also too bad because he actually broke through the line there and looked exactly like everybody hoped on that one carry. Now we're talking about one carry, but you know, James Conner fans are looking for one carry like that for the whole season yeah. so far. Yeah. So, uh, you know, here with the 49ers, where we know that there's going to be some running back value. Do we have a direction that we're going or do we have a different team that we're targeting? Cordell Patterson, we talked about him on Sunday night. He's the big breakout guy. He is gone in 20 roster spot leagues. Yeah, I like Patrick a lot. I mean, we're, we're actually recording this on Wednesday. It's going to post Friday. Uh, as of right now, Patrick is on the active roster because they, they signed him off a practice squad. Mitchell's on the active roster. Obviously, Sermon and Hasty are, but they're both not going to or, or Hasty's not going to play. We, I, I don't know where, where Sermon's at, but that concussion looked bad, man. I was really concerned about that. He got hit in the head, and then as he was sort of falling, got hit in the back of the head, and his neck slant, man, bent forward, got two head shots, and then also obviously what ends up happening is you hit your head on the ground as well. I mean, I don't know if anyone saw that. I, don't, I wouldn't seek it out. It's not a, a fun one to watch, but concussions are tricky. Who knows how he'll respond? Maybe he'll be fine um but it's uh yeah it was it was scary certainly for his first touch of his career 
but I, I, so as of right now, I'm sort of assuming he's going to miss week three as well. And so then, it, it, yeah, Patrick's the other guy and Trent Cannon that are on the active roster. And, and Patrick is this big back and would presumably play a little bit of the hasty role, which they were giving hasty the high value touches. That's one of the minor concerns with Mitchell. Mitchell's very explosive, can do some of the Raheem Mostert stuff. But Mitchell got the one green zone touch only after hasty had a 20 plus yard run into the green zone and then stayed on which a lot of times you see backs after a 20-yard run just come off from, from being tired. But it was like uh, uh, it was an indication of what we also saw in week one after Mostert went down, which was that Hasty got the goal line touch and scored the touchdown. Hasty had this long run, stayed on at the five-yard line, got to carry the next play, then got a pass target. Then a couple plays later, he finally comes off. Mitchell comes on. Mitchell almost scores. They review it. They don't give Mitchell the TD. Mitchell did get that green zone touch, did get very close to scoring a touchdown, it did seem like they were treating him like he wasn't their their primary green zone back. And they've done that with Jeff Wilson in the past and other backs. And now that they have Patrick, who's this big body back. I would expect Jock Patrick to be the guy who gets the goal line work in week three, if it is basically a Mitchell and Patrick combination, based on what, what, what we saw from Hasty and Mitchell sort of only coming in to get a green zone touch after spelling Hasty. So in that regard, Patrick, I think is really interesting, frankly, that he, he could have a touchdown or potentially a couple of touchdowns. He's a big bodied guy. Like you were saying he's two two thirty-eight or something. I don't know. Then I uh, what I also don't know right at this moment as we're talking is carry on Johnson's not still sitting on the practice squad. And if Sermon and Hasty are both out, then there's a potential that they elevate him. And we and, and so it'll be tricky. That'll that'll be one to monitor right up until Sunday if we hear any reports about how their usage might be split. Mitchell, it should very well be noted, even though I'm talking about the high value touch stuff was over 60% of the snaps again, was the clear lead. Sermon's touch, I believe, was the fourth quarter. Didn't like he wasn't involved even until that that touch. So yeah, definitely a backfield that we want to want to be looking at though. Another team that I want to get your thoughts on would be the Miami Dolphins. They have a situation where Miles Gaskin always looks fantastic and yet the overall offensive context has been so bad that it doesn't create a lot of offensive points. And then his usage in week two was a little bit disturbing here, right? We have Salvin Ackman come in and have a similar number of opportunities, 10 opportunities to nine. That means that their expected points track in the same basic range, nine for Gaskin, 8.2 for Ahmed. Now, uh, he had a terrible game here and, and gives almost all of those points back. Minus 6.5 fantasy points over expectation. You go into his advanced stats, you see no broken tackles, no missed tackles. His yards per attempt down there in the two-point range. But we've seen him do some impressive things in the past. And to an extent, I think that this game is just one where they know that they're going to get blown out. They're not trying to you know, burn Gaskin in a situation where it's not going to help them. But when we're looking at some deep guys to add, if we think that the Dolphins could bounce back with Fuller and Tua and some of those types of things, and Ahmed is clearly getting some good touches, is he somebody in leagues where, I mean, the waiver wire was not great this week. I and mean, obviously people have made those transactions, but when we're talking about like week ahead moves on the wire, he kind of jumps up in terms of someone who could have his role expand based on it already being you know, a full committee there. Yeah, a big thing that I noted in signals this week was that Malcolm Brad lost a ton of snaps. Um, he wound up with four carries, excuse me, five carries. Four of them came 
on the final drive with the game way out of hand. His only earlier touch in the game was a fourth and two, and he got stuffed, and he looked like Malcolm Brown and was slow to the line and all of those things. Beyond that, it was basically just Gaskin and Ahmed. That was not what we saw in week one. Uh, in week one, Malcolm Brown played more snaps than Ahmed. Ahmed got some interesting touches, was getting um, some some running back air yards. I believe he was the week one leader on running back air yards, which is you know one of my, my little favorite things when a running back is actually getting some routes down the field. But yeah, he looked like the clear number two in week two. It was a rough game for them. They lost to a... The Bills' front was just destroying their offensive line. Brissett got sacked however many times, and and things did not go well in that regard. So, yeah, I, I think Ahmed's definitely one to to star. He's not somebody that I had actually been thinking about enough, but I'm glad to hear you highlight him. It's one of those things where I write the Steelers signals about every single team, and I don't necessarily think through every single situation. I hear you highlight him, and I go, yeah, that actually was a, a takeaway for me this week was – Ahmed's probably worth grabbing. Definitely a, a good athlete, an explosive player, and his week one usage was was really interesting as well, to, to your earlier point. And then we will look at a few more of these types of situations where people can try and get a week ahead if you're in a deep league or you're just trying to make sure that your watch list is all filled out after the break. The wait is over. The NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. 
Well, Ben, we're going to look at some of the deep wide receivers as well. Uh, some of these guys may have been picked up in your leagues this week, but in medium-sized leagues, you're going to have to make a decision next week and a chance to get there a little bit early. I had mentioned Cephas earlier in the show, and you uh, said that you wanted to get back to him, that you think that he is the guy with the Lions, that he can hold off Terrell Williams even when he comes back. We were kind of talking about there just between the two of us in the break and discussing our own teams, what we would need to do to make a Cephas pickup. Yami Brown, KJ Hamler, the guys toward the bottom of our rosters at the wide receiver position, uh, sort of across the board. And so we would have to get rid of one of them to pick this up. KJ Hamler may be the most disappointing player of week two in terms of the fantasy production, the reality stuff, uh, hits and misses, right? You can see that speed to get open on almost every play he had a really nice route where he gets open at the deep sideline makes the leaping catch you can see his athleticism again when he goes up for that one the defender hits the ball as he's trying to bring it in had another deep target where he and bridgewater miscommunicated and you could see the frustration with bridgewater on that one and so you always wonder if this huge 258 air yard week for Cortland sutton a lot of which occurred after that play you know, if, if a play like that, the receiver doesn't run the route that you're hoping for, it kind of changes the way you're looking as you're watching the field here. You said that Hamler is a guy that we're not going to drop, which uh, that's music to my ears as the 100% Hamler owner. Yeah, I I mean, that, that play was tough. <laughs> At first I was like, oh, Bridgewater, what are you doing? He's wide open. And then you saw Bridgewater's reaction and I kind of had the same take as you where it was like, well, maybe that was on Hamler. But he was running in space. Uh, out of the slot, sort of kind of Bridgewater wanted him to go up the seam. He was kind of crossing a little too much. The throw was not necessarily close, but there was also nobody close to Hamler. The reason I said that about Hamler, last week was very disappointing. <laughs> we talked on the Sunday Night Show. I didn't have a great DFS week. A lot of people didn't play KJ Hamler, and so I wound up playing a lot of KJ Hamler. It would have been really nice if we got a little more KJ Hamler for me in, in DFS. You mentioned it would have been nice for uh, some of our some of our high stakes stuff where we, we threw Hamler in some lineups where we've had some injuries early and we could have won a game if Hamler had done a little bit more. At the same time, as disappointing as week two was, week one happened. He was open constantly. He was also open some in week two, that 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 miscommunication play being the, the big highlight. Week one, and what I said to you during the break, is if he catches that long TD, we're probably not even talking about potentially dropping him, right? Because that I mean, his week one line would have been massive, and I think people would have been a lot more on him as a result. Judy's going to be out for a little while. I still and and look, Sutton had a huge game, and Sutton was playing well and, and getting open, but he's not going to do that every week. What what Corlin Sutton had in terms of air yards was the most of of any player in a game this year. I believe I saw a note that it was more than any individual player last year. I didn't fact check that myself, but Hamler is going to get some of that work. Uh, he, he ran a ton of routes. He was very involved. Tim Patrick has the TDs each of the first two weeks. Tim Patrick is going to be a four for 40 guy every week. And then you'll just hope that he scores if you're playing him or you have him. Him and Zach Pascal are going to have the exact same stat line every single week all year. That's just sort of who they are. But And they're, they're probably going to score more than we like. But I, I think Hamler's going to bounce back and be very good. The Cephas, the Cephas point, I, he was my favorite wide receiver pickup this week. You mentioned, uh, you know, an underratedly decent prospect profile had some some legal stuff. The, the couple times I've talked about that or mentioned that, I've had people jump and quickly mention that he was cleared of all charges, cleared of all wrongdoing. I don't know. I haven't done a ton of in, uh, information on it. It was the 
know, the sexual assault stuff, which is always, you know, a little bit concerning, but I don't know a lot about the details as far as what we know about who he is as a player right now. He did probably that probably hurt, or it almost certainly hurt his, his prospect profile in the sense that that was a big reason he went back to school for a fourth year. He did have some early career production. It probably hurt his draft status. We don't know that for sure, but he's probably a pretty good player. We don't necessarily know how good of a person again, at the same time, I think he was a very good pickup in the sense that of all the wide receivers for the lions this week or, or this year coming into the year, he was the guy that I think had the most upside pretty clearly. I mean, you can, there was a lot of people that were excited about Amon Ross St. Brown. I like Cephas quite a bit more in terms of the upside to be a, a true number one. And yes, Tyrell Williams is out, but Cephas is the type of player that from a profile perspective could be the number one, even when Williams is back. And we have seen the positive stuff from the lions the fact that Hawkinson and Swift are both doing so well, it's going to keep the chains moving. It's going to keep the the you know the touchdown scoring potential there. If I'm not mistaken, Cephas has scored both weeks so far as well. So he, he does look very good. I, I played him in some one-game DFS showdown stuff for week two quite a bit, actually, because he, to me, of, of that you know giant cluster of, of Detroit wide receivers where we didn't know a lot, he was the one that just from a skill perspective looked like the guy. And then he came out in the first drive and was the guy. And he played the snaps that looked like the guy. Like they they saw that as well. In week one, he, he all of his targets were in the second half. He wasn't very involved in the first half. In week two, uh, with Williams out, he played a, a full a full role. And I, I think that could continue all year. And, and this is the type of team situation. There's going to be plenty of pass volume that, that he could put together a really strong season, frankly. Yeah, Cephas looks like the guy in detroit and so you know we have some concern about how well that offense will support any receivers but with the way it's broken down for the first two weeks the volume that he is likely to get i'm excited about what he could potentially do then i kind of had referenced it for uh, just a, a little brief moment there as we were talking about daniel jones darius slayton someone else who is going to come up among the top scorers so far in the players who are likely still available to you. Now we know that in the Giants situation, they actually have some good receivers. They have Sterling Shepard, they have Kenny Galladay. And so it's not like we expect Slayton to have the target share that makes him a solid pickup, but this is a guy that I'm just still very intrigued by, right? Because as a late round rookie, he led the Giants in air yards by over 300 yards. And that was in a season where even though they missed some games, that team had Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. Now, those guys aren't deep threats, but just because you have a, a larger number of overall targets, in most cases, if you're those guys, you're going to add up to some air yards. He scored eight touchdowns. A lot of those were long touchdowns. We saw the long touchdown on Thursday night. We saw a second chance at it. He really fell off last year. He was one of the guys who struggled with just how much this overall offense failed right he catches only 50 out of 97 targets his touchdowns dropped to three they're clearly looking to replace him in some ways with galladay but last year 1328 air yards i mean you're talking about a guy who gets targeted deep has valuable targets when he gets them and we see now in this game in week two that maybe the other guys there are going to open things up for him. Maybe he's not a guy who, when he gets the defensive attention, when he gets the number one corner, when you're dealing with Daniel Jones as your QB can flourish. But if you need some depth, if you don't have the guys, or you're looking to stash some players in medium-sized dynasty leagues, or to include someone in like a two-for-two two trade where 
you're, you're really using the headliners in order to build out your depth a little bit with the underneath guy. Slayton is someone who I think can give you some weekly upside right now. And there might be some points, you know, as his career progresses, whether it's with the Giants or within their team, he could be one of these sneaky big breakout guys later on. Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked good. People call the 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 missed deep shot to him last Thursday night a drop. I mean, they they were making a huge scene of it on the on the broadcast, calling it a drop maybe ten times. Uh, it was Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Normally love those guys, but I thought that was like really suspect, like pretty out of line, frankly, because. It was a play. We saw the end zone shot as well. Daniel Jones had to release the ball before the defender had completely lost Slayton. So in some respects, he he probably felt he needed to be a little bit more precise than it turned out to be. When you're watching it live and the camera pans, Slayton's running wide open. And so I'm not putting it on Daniel Jones either. It was just one of those football plays that missed by a very small fraction of an inch. But what happened was as soon as Jones put it up, Slayton very clearly kicked it into a higher gear and was burning like full speed and fully extended didn't alligator arms it and the ball just hits off the tips of his fingertips and i know the old saying like you get your hands on it you got to catch it it would have been a huge play for the giants for that tv but that would have been a catch if he makes it i'm you know i'm watching the game tweeting i'm tweeting wow what a play to see him turn on the jets when i was watching it live i was like whoa he's going he's he's gonna run that down you know i thought it was overthrown by a yard and then they made this huge thing that he dropped it in the end zone and i just i thought that was not fair to, to, to Slayton at all. He's a good player. I, I'm with you. And I, and I, yeah, like I said, I don't think it was a bad pass on Dylan Jones' part either. Just a, a tough play. But yeah, that, that could have been an even bigger performance for Slayton in week two. I think he did have one touchdown anyway, right? And then he missed on that near one. So it was very nearly a two-touchdown game. You can see where that could happen. We're seeing Kenny Galladay run some routes, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage that could wind up being a positive for him it is something like he's gotten some targets and some quick slants and things interesting for him the tough part about that is that i'm not sure that's really a good fit with daniel jones necessarily and the guy that is actually smashing in the underneath stuff is sterling shepherd more than anyone and slayton looks like their better downfield target right now which is typically kenny galladay's bread and butter but to your point we don't know how the team's gonna all shake out we don't know who's gonna stay healthy all those things slayton could be a performer I completely agree. And, and you you t- hit on everything about his profile prior to, you know, the, the start of this season. It, it's been underrated. Our other guy, Ben, who is kind of in that same range, we made a big deal about him after week one. And then my very first note of week two, in part because that's just the game I clicked on to start with, was KJ Osborne with the 64-yard touchdown. I'm thinking, I mean, this guy is going to be massive behind Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, almost a little bit worried with all of the Justin Jefferson shares. We really don't want Osborne siphoning off all of this work. He's looked great. He had the touchdown. We know that he has this ability to create the big play and that without the tight ends being involved as receivers, that there's some volume potentially there. But after that play, things actually went in a little bit of a bad direction. And you have some notes on the tight ends and how they played a lot of the rest of the game that raises some red flags. Yeah, Osborne's been great through two games. Definitely uh, a positive sign to see him be so efficient. The rest of that game, he had five targets, four catches, 27 yards. That was a total blown coverage on the 64-yard TD. I think he's going to have more lines like that, five targets, four catches. And the reason is he went from 89% routes in week one, which was super, super optimistic. The the um, 
the Vikings run a lot of two tight end sets historically. And obviously they don't have Kyle Rudolph anymore and, and Irv Smith's injured. They ran a lot of three wide receiver sets. You still had Jefferson and Thielen up above that rate. So the third receiver being out and around on 90% of dropbacks is, was very interesting to see them running so much three wide receiver stuff in week two, Tyler Conklin's role actually grew a little bit. They also had this Ben Ellison guy back. He made his debut and played 16 snaps and Chris Herndon's role grew a little bit. Seems like they're bringing along those second tight ends a little bit. That, you know, We know they're thinner at that position, but they shifted toward a lot more two tight end sets. KJ Osborne's routes, unfortunately, fall from 89% all the way down to 69% of dropbacks in week two. And we see after that big play, like you said, not as involved. Still could be very good. 69% still not horrible. Uh, maybe not very good, but it still could be good. 69% not horrible for a third receiver, a slot guy, to be out on routes 70% of the time. My concern is they showed that they do actually want to get back to more two tight end stuff. And maybe it was just a, a tight end depth chart issue in week one, as opposed to them wanting to be heavy three wide receiver set going forward. And so that big 20% routes per drop back drop from week one to week two for Osborne, not necessarily a positive sign when you're already you know behind Jefferson and Thielen in terms of trying to earn targets in a, in a passing game that has two real big stars. Now, Ben, we started our Wednesday show with notes about tight ends. When you go through the tight end possible ads this week, you're looking at names like Jack Doyle, Dawson Knox. I think going back to the rookie that I've liked as a potential midseason breakout is kind of interesting in Pratt-Fryermuth, but there's just a, not a lot there for people who are trying to kind of get ahead of the game at tight end, I think if you're going to get ahead of the game, you almost have to go with talent or with this idea of these teams are going to shift or maybe there's a young guy who can make a move as opposed to thinking that there's a lot of information in the week two trends that would get us anybody who's actually going to make an impact. Yeah, the only one that I'll go against that on is 31-year-old Jack Doyle. His routes did jump all the way up to 75% of dropbacks. That's a big number for a tight end. He saw eight targets. There was this sort of, you know, thin narrative in the offseason that he could be Carson Wentz's new Zach Ertz as this, you know, safety valve. Wentz is now hurt. We don't know his status as we're talking here. I don't know it. Hurt both his ankles. I'm at least a little bit interested in him because he does have an 80-catch season on his resume. He has shown, you know, at, at that, now that was when he was 27. He's 31 now, and he hasn't done anything for the last three years, really. But he has shown at some point the ability to – consistently rack up targets and catches and so that is like a minor thing that i'm like you know what i'll be open to this just because of the wentz Ertz connection for so many years and the the similarities between Ertz and doyle in the sense that they aren't athletic and they aren't exciting in any kind of a way but i agree with you, your, your broader point pat freemuth looks like a pretty interesting one his routes from 34 percent week one up to 55 percent week two catches four passes looks better than eric ebron uh, would not be surprising to see him continue to to gain routes. It's sort of like how Cole Komet put Jimmy Graham on the back burner last year. Don't really have any other clear options. I don't think I'm looking through my you know my biggest signals and biggest noise of the week. And Juwan Johnson's already added, but he added some routes in a passing script. Like I kind of hypothesized, he might after week one he did not run a, a lot of routes. And he did actually run more routes than Adam Troutman in, in week two, which was a positive thing, but he's still splitting and he's probably already added after his two TD week one. And I'm not really sure that I'm that excited about New Orleans as a passing offense anyway. So if Johnson's out there, I mean, he could be another guy that 
because of his receiver background to your point about like skills and, and, and potential long-term stuff. He, he could develop into like such a high route percentage. I think the upside is basically what Jared Cook did in in the Saints offense the last couple of years. And one of the things that you a little to a little bit right there is this idea that we can maybe get the second wave on some of these guys. So someone like a Johnson, he has the two touchdowns in a week where it was obviously very fluky that that happens. He gets added everywhere. He has the bust week in a week. But a lot of the other Saints, I mean, Callaway hasn't done anything so far. He's got to be one of the most disappointing receivers in that round, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 range. That's one of the reasons all we talk about you've got to draft a lot because not everybody is going to come through. If you're counting on every one of your wide receiver shots, then once you're wrong, you're in deep trouble. But on some of these tight ends, I, I think the notes on Firemouth are perfect. Johnson, somebody who we weren't that interested in right away. There were some really high bids on him even the week before the season, and then he catches the two scores. I think there may be some sort of bounce opportunities with the Saints where you get some of these guys released, and then as the offense develops, in part because someone has to come through at some point, and we don't think that an offense with Winston and with Sean Payton and with someone like an Alvin Kamara opening up some things for you to do that they're not going to score any points. So yeah, that's looking, a great point. Yeah. Pick some of these guys up after they're dropped. I mean, one of the things that I do every week with the waivers, I'm sure lots of people do it, but I'm always excited to see who we got, you know, how much for, how much did we overspend by, but then who was dropped and make sure I note those because some of those guys are going to be players who they were dropped because they were hurt or they're dropped because they had a no show type of game. And so maybe when you're scrolling through, you're not going to necessarily notice them for the next week. Some of these guys who were originally injured are going to be interesting names to bring off the list as they become eligible again with the way the IR works right now. So be looking at some of these people, make sure you're tracking who's dropped in your leagues. Those could be the pickups who are important for you a week from now. Yeah. And to just add a little color to your Saints point, which is a fantastic point. They only threw 20 passes in the first game because they ran so effectively against the Packers. And then in week two, they were so bad. They only threw 23 passes, I think is what I have here. Oh, sorry. They threw 21 against the Packers, and then they threw 22 in week two. So both very, very low numbers. I mean, extremely low numbers, unsustainably low. Uh, You know, I talk about the 450 pass attempt marker being really low for a season. That comes out to, I think, 28 pass attempts per game. And so they've been a half dozen below that in both games. And so because of that, you have Alvin Kamara only has 10 targets so far, which is kind of low for him. But he's easily leading a team that no one else has more than six targets through two games. And so to your point, it's just wildly clear that it's Johnson and Callaway and Troutman who all have six. Deontay Harris and Chris Hogan have four. One of those guys is going to average more than three or two targets per game going forward. It's just it has to happen. And so that's, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Well, Ben, it's been great to do a couple of midweek shows for you. Obviously, we released the second one on Fridays. Love to hear from the listeners if there are some concepts, some topics that they want us to go over on the midweek shows. We're going to do a little bit of a waiver look forward as we did today, kind of talk structurally what we're looking to do, kind of uh, keep you abreast of some of the changes we're making on our team. So if we do some things that are helpful to us, hopefully they can be helpful to you as well. Uh, If they fail for us, hopefully you missed that episode. But it's been a blast. 
that'll do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. I know you're subscribing to Stealing Signals, but if you haven't, today is a great day to do it. It's also a great day to subscribe to Rotoviz. If you want to get a 10% discount, use the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate all the great feedback that we've gotten. The Stealing Bananas community is fantastic. Make sure you subscribe to our feed. You'll get some of these shows a little bit earlier uh, if you do that. And uh, as we get ready for a big week three, good luck to everybody.